Welcome to So Now What, a bi-weekly podcast of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Join hosts Michelle Patnode, W3MVP, and Joe Karsha, NJ1Q, as they offer information, support, and encouragement for those starting their journey into the world of amateur radio. So Now What is brought to you by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. Asking questions. That's how you get the advice and insight you need to go from a new license holder to ham radio veteran. And the first question is, so now what? Hey, podcast listeners. I'm Michelle Patnode, W3MVP. Thanks for joining us for So Now What? a podcast for people who are relatively new to amateur radio and who are excited and curious to discover all that it has to offer. Here with me is Joe Karsha and J1Q. Hi, Michelle. And hi, everybody. So, Michelle, what is our episode about today? So our episode today is actually answering fan questions. Fan questions. That's why I I asked you the question, because it's questions. Ah, ha, ha, ha. I know. <laughs> All right, so many of you have sent emails to so now what at awrl.org, and we're here to answer some of them on the show. And if you're looking for links for all these projects, they're actually in the description box on this podcast via whatever platform you're listening to us on. And so you may actually hear your question being read on the air with the answer we provided you. And we figured this would be cool. Uh, we'll just read them on the air because I'm sure that other hams have similar questions. So our first question for the show is from Don of Washington. So Don is buying a better quality portable radio that he's mainly going to use for Aries. It will be his primary radio. And he's wondering if there are any portable antennas that he should look at that may be better than others. As everyone knows, because we've mentioned this in the past on our podcasts, we cannot recommend any one antenna over another, let alone any manufacturer over another. And that would be, it's a conflict of interest since we perform product reviews on many different types of equipment. So we couldn't necessarily recommend anything to him. But what we did say is that on average, most of the new portable antennas, like shortened verticals, folded dipoles, or trap-style antennas, are pretty decent. They would work well for what he wants to do. But what to choose all depends on what his particular style of operating portable will be. Now, let's assume that he's going to be active in an area with a lot of trees, like, say, a soda operation. And soda, by that I mean the summits on the air operation. A simple dipole antenna may work. You may be in a park or another open area where fewer no trees, then a self-supporting vertical will do the trick. And if you're looking to do something like that, you have to kind of scope out the area beforehand so you know actually what to purchase. When you're looking at an antenna, the things you want to look for are obviously the antenna gain, the profile, the ease of setup, and obviously the frequency bandwidth. With its ease of tuning, now some antennas, if it's a broadbanded antenna, and I was using air quotes, and you can ask Michelle and say, yes, I was using air quotes. He was. I was using air quotes. You have to tune some antennas for a particular segment of the band. So that's something else you have to take into consideration. And one antenna that that's pretty common with are vertical antennas. They have a limited frequency spread on any particular band. So you have to kind of pick and choose where you want to be if you're going to use that style of antenna. The nice thing is that most manufacturers will detail this information in their manuals on how to properly tune the antennas. 
Now, if you settle on any particular type of portable antenna, there are a number of websites and forums that anyone can visit that may discuss the antenna. This way, you'll kind of get a better feel for how well the antenna will perform for you. So that was a good question, Don. Thank you. Our next question is from Alan of Washington as well. Alan is hearing two other conversations at the same time. And when he asks other stations, no one else hears it. Joe, what's happening? Another good question, Alan. Thank you. Well, that sounds like the effects of what's called two-way radio propagation. Now, there's always this assumption that, oh, well, propagation is always two-way. It's always a two-way street. Well, not always. It's, uh, I mean, generally it's there, but not always there. Now, you can be calling CQ, and depending upon band conditions, and we're talking about sunspot activity or lack thereof sunspot activity, another hand may hear you, and they'll call you back. Now, there can be another ham radio operator merely listening on that frequency that you're on and will more than likely hear you both talking with each other. That's assuming that propagation is behaving that particular day. Now, but on rare occasions, that amateur radio operator is just listening, may only hear either you or the other ham that you're talking with. Again, it all depends upon the band conditions. Now, what he's experiencing or what he may be experiencing is radio skip or the skip distance. You can think of it this way. You're in state of Washington, and you're calling CQ on 20 meters during the day, beaming towards the northeast. You're, you want to try to talk to us out here in Newington, Connecticut. Assuming band conditions are good, chances are you may find a ham in, say, Rhode Island, who hears you and answers your CQ. Your signal has traveled or skipped thousands of miles. And while you may be having a conversation with that ham in Rhode Island, amateur operators in, say, Ohio may not hear you because of how your signal skipped over them. What sounds like happened here is that he just happened to be located in an RF sweet spot where he was able to hear both sides of the conversation. Again, depending on band conditions, we're always going to preface that because you always have to take that in consideration. And that sweet spot allowed him to hear both sides of the conversation. But what's interesting about that is he can experience that today and he may not hear it the next day. <laughs> so it's because of the way radio propagation plays and how conditions are. But um, that is the magic of ham radio. That's, that's part of the fun of it, actually. Our next question is from Kevin of Virginia. He recently set up his first HF antenna. It's a Hustler 4B TV vertical. He set up Whisper on his computer, but his info comes back as negative decibel values. Kevin's only running 5 watts versus the full 100 watts that his transmitter can output and not sure how to interpret the results. So, Joe, what can Kevin do? He has to realize that the SID reports coming back via Whisper, which stands for Weak Signal Propagation Reporting Reporter, are not necessarily absolute indicators of true signal strength, propagation, stuff like that. It's kind of relative. I did direct Kevin to a website on qsl.net. And the reason I directed it to him, I did a little bit of research. And it's because on this webpage, there is a link to a spreadsheet that you can use to input your data. Transmitting information, power, stuff like that with subsequent calculations offering expected signal strengths. Now, within Whisper, the negative number, when you're looking at this, is relative to the noise floor in a 25 hertz bandwidth. And that's generally the bandwidth of the audio and so on and so forth. 
So in other words, a level of zero dB or zero decibels would be the desired noise floor. And for those who are not certain what a noise floor is, the noise floor is level of desired noise or what the relative noise might be at any time. Now, the readings that you may get would not necessarily be the same ones that I or anyone else would get given similar circumstances. Now, for example, I'm over here at W1AW, and I were to run Whisper at 5 watts. Given the antennas here, I would naturally expect better results because they're high-gain antennas, they hear better. I'm using relatively high-end equipment, so my ability to receive signals is a little better than, say, someone just using a small wire antenna not so high up on the ground. And it's because they have higher gain, so on and so forth. So that's here at W1AW. I have high-gain antennas, high-end receivers, and so on. But the system that Kevin has still has a lot to offer in terms of information. So let's say that the best report you get is minus 18 dB. You can't or don't hear anything lower than minus 18 dB or minus 20 or 22 and so on and so forth. So that's not too bad. If the best you can do is, say, minus 10 dB, then I think that maybe the system is a little deaf. Maybe there's some compromise to the signal. Now, for those who are using Whisper, there is a website out there that will allow you to actually look at different Whisper transmitters around the globe. And while I won't necessarily give the go on to any one of the web browsers there, type into Google, WhisperNet, W-S-P-R-N-E-T, WhisperNet, that will bring you to a propagation page for Whisper, and you can zero in on any part of the world and on any band that you want, and it'll tell you the stations that are currently active. That's really cool. I use it all the time because it's a really good indicator for propagation. But essentially, you're looking for high negative dB or decibel numbers, like minus 18, minus 20, minus 22, etc., because this means you can hear weaker signals. And while there is math that can offer you a relative RST equivalent, because he's kind of asking about that, the numbers offered in the Whisper program work just as well. In a nutshell, for those who are looking for a way to kind of measure propagation so on to see how their systems are doing, I would suggest using Whisper. It's a really neat mode, and uh, you can get that off of WSJT, or you can actually get there's a small program that was developed that will let you run Whisperous. So for those who are looking for a way to check propagation so on, Whisper is one of the very good methods they can use. And if you're looking for links for all these projects, they're actually in the description box on this podcast via whatever platform you're listening to us on. And now a word from our sponsor. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. Welcome back to So Now What? 
Our next question is from Julius of Texas, and he's wondering if he can use his Apple MacBook Pro with his Kenwood TS480 or just standalone to make contacts. Joe? Now, this one, with this question, we actually asked our lab. Uh, Some of these questions we do forward to the lab for response, and they're always gracious enough to help answer some of these questions. And so, Zach... Whiskey One Victor Tango, who's our senior lab engineer, responded back. And what he suggested to Julius is to use digital modes and FTH because currently it is one of the most popular digital modes right now. And that's not to say it's better than anyone else. It's just right now that's what everyone is using. Now, there is a Mac version of WSJT, and it's for the Macintosh uh, Mac OS, and there are some instructions on how to set that up for your Mac. And as long as you go to the website and follow those instructions, he can set it up and he should be able to use his MacBook with no problem. Now, Zach did go on to say that, and I'm kind of paraphrasing what Zach said here, and that in order to work DX or long-haul DX, because I think Julius also asked how he can work into the Far East and Middle East and so on, Zach has suggested that he needs either a high horizontally polarized antenna, such as a dipole up 30 feet or more, or even 100 feet up, or a vertical. But he prefaces this by saying, but since a vertical radiates at all azimuths or in all directions in a horizontal plane, compared to the directional pattern of a dipole, signals are generally weaker with a vertical. You should be able to work some DX during band peaks, with the vertical in FT8, and that will take a little bit of operating skill to to find out how the radio propagation works with that antenna and so on. But but you should be able to work some DX during band peaks with the vertical and FT8, and that's something that our listeners may not necessarily know is that if they want to play with FT8 or some of the other digital modes. Thankfully, a lot of the authors of these software packages have written versions for operating systems other than Windows. You'll find it for WSJT, FLDigi, so on and so forth. So fear not, if you're using Apple products, Macintosh products, Windows products, Linux products, there is software out there for them to use. Okay, our next question is from Austin of Kentucky. He's a college student, and he currently has a 2-meter Yaesu 3200DR, and he's looking for a simple antenna to build. Joe, I think this calls for a DIY project. What do you think? I think this is a very good DIY project. For those of you who don't know, is for do-it-yourself. You probably see it on social media, such as Twitter all the time, as hashtag DIY. And I think that's a very good project for him to do. In my response to him, I had referenced in the ARL TIS files, a simple ground plane antenna. And you can make a ground plane antenna for 80 meters or 3.5 megahertz. You can make a ground plane antenna for 6 meters or 50 megahertz or 2 meters and so on and so forth because the physics and the math is the same regardless of the frequency. Heck, you can make one for 23 centimeters. It'd be a little stubby piece of wire, but it's just the same thing. It's a ground plane antenna. So as mentioned in the article, the antenna can be constructed using a panel mount SO239 or the UHF panel mount style connector. Essentially, the SO239 or the UHF connector is the standard style of connector you find on pretty much every radio that's out there and welding rod. 
Now, you can also get away with using a wire coat hanger. You just have to make sure that the ends that you're going to use for soldering are really clean and devoid of paint because any little bit of paint or tarnish or anything like that is going to make soldering quite a chore. So you want to make sure it's really clean. For six meters, I had sent Austin a design for a six-meter dipole using parts available from a local home improvement store. The nice thing about this is that the dimensions can be scaled to cover other frequencies other than six meters, like 10 meters. For 10 meters, each leg would have to be about eight feet, three inches long. It's a little bit more involved in the ground plane, but if you really enjoy constructing things, if you're really into DIY or do-it-yourself, this is a relatively easy project. And those instructions, we can mail them to you if you like as well. Just email us and let us know. The cool thing about these frequencies, the ones that Austin are talking about, is that their respective antennas are not necessarily large in comparison to, say, a Yagi for 40 meters. And since the antenna is kind of small, the cost can be pretty palatable. And I'm glad that they're asking us these questions about how they can build stuff, because that's, again, part of the fun of amateur radio. So our last question on the show is from Brian of Alaska. Brian has his technician class license. He wants to know what are the best bands for his location in Alaska. Thank you, Brian, for that question. Now, this is another one that we passed on to Zach, WNVT, for a response. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, well, why is he asking that question? It's pretty standard. He can operate on the bands granted by his license class. Well, the key here is his location. He's located in the state of Alaska. And as many hams in Alaska and Hawaii and other parts of the world can attest, sometimes what we kind of take for granted in terms of operating on bands, they always don't have that opportunity. So this is why we're actually answering this question on the podcast. Now, Zach's response was, at least right now, because he holds a technician class, the only band he can operate voice on for HF is 10 meters. And the only long-distance propagation mode right now is what's called sporadic E, the unpredictable sporadic E. And we won't go too much into sporadic E except to say that it is an occurrence where propagation occurs within the E layer, and it's sporadic. And if you're really curious about that, we recommend that you go to our webpage or to our books to look up a little more about sporadic E. But anyway, the sporadic E season at least for us here, generally runs from mid-June through mid-August, where propagation, at least on 10 meters, is much more likely. Now, Zach does go on to say that we are at the bottom of the solar cycle, and this is currently solar cycle 24, but 10 meters is a wonderful band at the top of the cycle, but it may take another five years for conditions on 10 meters to become useful for some technicians. Zach goes on to say that the situation would be different if you were in Hawaii with an excellent location toward Australia. And this is an excellent 10-meter trans-equatorial path. And you just got to look up trans-equatorial. Well, again, we won't go into it. But when you think about trans-equatorial, what's the word that's in there? Equator. And that's we're going to leave it at that. Even at the bottom of the cycle, the latitude you live at does affect propagation, as do the location of places. And he goes on to say that the latitude you live at does affect propagation. Now, again, Zach had suggested FT8 as a digital mode to use right now 
because as a technician, you can run FT8 and other digital modes. We're always going to say that, and other digital modes, you can run that on 10 meters. You just have to ensure that you have the proper interfacing and, of course, the proper radio to operate on 10 meters. Zach had mentioned some radios that he can use, and he had mentioned that some of the newer radios today don't even need an interface. As long as they have that USB port in the back, you can just plug that radio via the USB port right into your computer. If you have the proper drivers, you will be able to use the radio's USB port for both CAT, or computer-aided tuning control, that's frequency control, the PTT, or push-to-talk, as well as the audio send and receive. So again, good question, Brian, and thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for emailing us in questions, and keep sending them along, and share your projects with us, too. As always, if you have a question and want a chance of it being answered on the show, send an email to sonowwhat at awrl.org, or go to our webpage, www.arrl.org forward slash sonowwhat, and submit your question under the So Now What listener form. Don't forget to also rate and review So Now What on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We love getting your questions, feedback, and suggestions. Until next time on So, so Now, now what? what? So Now What is a production of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and is sponsored by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. For more information on amateur radio or the ARRL, visit us on the web at www.arrl.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for ARRL. If you have a question or comment for Joe or Michelle, email us at sonowwhat at awrl.org or use the form on our website, www.arrl.org forward slash sonowwhat. This program is copyright of the ARRL, and any unauthorized redistribution or rebroadcast is prohibited. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to So Now What at Blueberry.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sabrina Jackson, KC1JMW, Administrative Manager of Radio Sport at the ARRL. Thanks for listening.